Today, I want to begin a series on the Ten Commandments. I'm going to take some of these major things in our faith and uh, talk about them extensively. And, of course, our whole legal system is based on the Ten Commandments. Some people today would say, you know, that's just an ancient code. It really doesn't have anything to do with me. Well, every one of the Ten Commandments really does. Look at the first one. Thou shall have no other gods before me. None. Some would say, nothing to do with today. Well, the Ten Commandments receive the specific support of Christ. It has wide application today in our legal system, in our interactions uh, legally across this great land. We don't have to be very profound to realize that the hardest problems that we have are prioritizing life. And the Ten Commandments really speaks to that in our lives today. We know how to build great factories, great buildings. We know how to build skyscrapers. We know how to build gigantic airports. We know how to build all of these things, but we don't know how to fill those factories, those skyscrapers, those airports with men of integrity. We don't, it seems, know how to do that in our day. There is a corruption seemingly at every level in our society. We have bizarre murders. You look at the paper today. I just kind of skimmed it a few moments ago and There's two or three pages of things that have been done that were illegal, immoral, things that were just terrible, page after page of that going on in our society. We have child molesters that are uh, running rampant in our country. We have crooks on Wall Street, and somebody told me we had a few crooks in Washington. Not just a little man here, a little man there, but there are crooked folks, it seems, at every level, in every station of our society. I will never forget the first time that I saw a crime committed. I was astonished at what I saw. I was 16 years old. I had worked in a supermarket. My job was sorting pop bottles. Back then, you always turned all the bottles back in. And I sorted them out, put them in the right cartons, in the right crates, and they'd pick them up. I knew everybody that worked in that store. The meat market guy was, uh, seemed to me like a nice fellow. I hadn't visited with him a whole lot, but I, I knew him. One day I was just, for whatever reason, looking in his direction. I saw him wrap up about seven or eight or nine huge sirloin steaks in that brown paper that the meat market guys always worked with way back then. He wrapped them all up, taped it together, and then he did the oddest thing. He took that sack that he had made and uh, took it out on the back porch and dropped it in the trash. 
And I just couldn't believe it. I thought, what in the world is he doing? I wanted to ask him, but I was real busy. I didn't have time. A day or two passed, and he wasn't there. And I asked one of the guys that worked in that department, I said, uh, you know, I saw the manager wrap up some meat and put some tape around it. He dropped it in the trash. What was that about? Why did he do that? He said, well, Ron, don't say anything. But uh, he comes back after work, goes to the trash cans, and he reaches down. He knows right where it is and gets out those uh, steaks and takes it home to a hungry family. I just couldn't believe somebody did that. I just, I just couldn't hardly believe it. Many of the great problems of our day are moral problems. The great civilizations of the past did not fall because they ran out of natural resources. They fell and continue to fall because of a lack of moral courage, because of a lack of biblical understanding and application. There's a lot of moral decay and unconcern for the general welfare in our world today. In so many countries over there around Israel, they're just murdering people. They want to cleanse their society. Everybody that doesn't agree with them right down the line, they just murder them. By the thousands, Christians all over the world today are being tortured and murdered and killed, beheaded, slaughtered, all kinds of things. Because they have the courage to stand for Christ. Today, I'd like for all of us to think about this first commandment. It keeps the kingdom on key. This first commandment. If we all heard and internalized its message, we wouldn't have crooked meat market managers. Our society would not fall apart. And our lives and the lives of those that we love would find fulfillment. The scripture says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. The number one differs from all other numbers. Not in degree, but in kind. The step from two to three is relatively slight. But the step from one to two is enormous. A man who has two wives and a man who has three wives are in the same class. They're polygamous. They believe that they can divide their deepest affections. But both are totally different from the man who, because he believes he cannot divide his affection and is wholly loyal to one wife. In grammar, there is a primary distinction between the singular and the plural, no matter what degree of plurality it might be. In no realm is the uniqueness of singularity so significant as in our loyalties. You cannot give your ultimate allegiance to two nations. You have to choose. You cannot have two best boyfriends or two best girlfriends. Ultimately, 
you have to decide between them. During the Great War, Germans found that they could not worship both Hitler and God. They had to make a choice. Those that put God in first place, in the number one position in their lives, many times met death because of their decision. They're yielding their lives to Christ. There can be only one ultimate loyalty. Either it's your wife or your husband or your son or your daughter, your home, your country, your money, your cat, your dog, your ideology, your figure, your biceps, yourself, or God. My friends, there's only one of those that is worthy of such loyalty. And that one, that one is God. If we choose any of the others, we are in for disappointment, disillusionment, and finally, disaster. The scripture says in Mark twenty-two thirty-seven, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Basically, that verse is saying, put God first. Worship God. Let him be the focal point of your life. The scripture says in Romans 6, 15, You belong to the power which you choose to obey. Have you ever thought of it like that? You belong to the power you choose to obey. Where is God in your life? Is he in first place? Or is he in 14th place? Where is God in your life? Many hundreds of years ago, when Greece ruled the world, they believed strongly in a God called Narcissus. As the story goes, Narcissus was out walking around one day, and he came to a pond, and he looked down into the pond, and he saw a reflection of himself. He immediately fell in love with himself. You say, well, that's crazy. That's a ridiculous uh, thing. Well, I contend that that romantic relationship exists all around us today. Many are simply in love with themselves and have given primary allegiance to self. Have you ever heard anyone ask, well, what's in that for me, for me? Does it provide maximum security for me? How is it going to affect my popularity? How will this make me look? Many have fallen in love with themselves. And that kind of love threatens the very existence of our civilization. Homes break up because some husbands are so occupied with a puffed-up version of themselves and their own importance that they don't take time to try and understand and really love their wives. Families disintegrate 
today because some wives put their own social ambitions before their husband, their children, and before God. It's when we love ourselves and put ourselves in the number one position that we become bigots and demagogues and dictators. All other degenerate into something totally inferior when we become the object of our own affections. Many people make their work their God, and it's in first place, no question about it. There's nothing wrong with work. There's millions and millions and millions of people sitting around in America that ought to be working. We're paying for them to sit around. I think I need more amens on that. Good, good. There's nothing wrong with work, but when we give it the devotion that belongs only to God, we invite certain disaster. Many gave their company everything, all their talent, all their love, all their time, everything. They gave it everything. And then the company closed. Or the pension was cut off. You know, the company is temporary, but God is eternal. No man can serve two masters, but every man can try, and a lot of men do. Psychiatrists call this irresponsible scattering of our affections schizophrenia. Theologians call it polytheism. By whatever name you call it, it really means disaster. Where is God in your life? Is he number one? When Moses was up on Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments, Aaron the high priest made a tragic mistake. I mean tragic. He led the children of God into idolatry. When Moses came down from the mountain, he just couldn't believe what he was seeing. He took a stick, and there in the desert sand, he drew a line. It was a very clear line, made it a long line. He said, those of you that will put God first in your life, first place in your life, Those of you that will stand for God, live for God, love God, put God in first place in your life, come across the line. Men chose that day what they would do with God. What are you doing with him? Are you going to put him in first place? Maybe you haven't done that. Maybe you never have. I want to ask you to uh, come across the line this morning. You know, there, there is a line. You know that. You have to break through the line that has always held you back. 
the line that has always been there through social implications or family loyalties or financial situations or this or that or the other. But there's a line, a line that has held you back, a line that you need to step across, where in doing so you say to the Lord, you say to the church, you say to your family, your friends, your neighbors, I'm going to put God in first place in my life. I had a real good friend a number of years ago named Perry Davidson. Perry was a great guy. He was a great, big, heavyset man. I just loved him. He was funny. He, he just did a lot of things that uh, tickled me to death. I could just laugh around him all the time. He lived in the country. He had a sweet wife who was the pianist at our little country church. Had three kids. Perry's gone now. He's uh, with the Lord. Uh, But he did have some things and some ways that were very strange. His water system was strange. He had a well. He had pipes that went in different directions. But every year when it froze... The pipes wouldn't work, and his wife would threaten divorce, death, numerous things, Uh, but Perry said, well, you know, it's going to get warmer in a few days. He never did anything about it. He had a rocking chair on the porch of his house that was so ugly, it was unbelievable. It was an embarrassment to the family. And everybody in the family would beg him when company came to hide that chair in the back room. And Perry wouldn't do it. He said, that's my chair. Now, you can have a chair if you want a chair. Just put your chair out there. That's my chair. I like my chair. I'm used to my chair. I'm not going to move my chair. That really became very humorous. The strangest thing that Perry did uh, was with his car. Perry would uh, get a new car, and he would drive it until it wouldn't drive anymore. And then he would get some people to help him, and he would put it back up in the pasture. And when I came to pastor the church, he'd lived there all his life. When I came to the church, there were about ten cars up there in the pasture, (laughs) sitting right beside each other. And while I was there, one of his cars died. And uh, he got some friends, and they towed it up and put it in the back pasture. He loved those old cars. And he wasn't going to dispense with something that had served him and helped him all of its life. That's the way he looked at it. One time I was talking to Perry about God, and I said, Perry, do you think that you would ever turn your back on God? He said, oh, no, Ron, I wouldn't do that. I met God when I was a little boy, and I put him in first place in my life then, and he's always been in first place in my life all the way long. I couldn't turn him out now. I thought about what he had done with the cars, and it made me believe it more. There is a 
comfortable and growing feeling of rightness in your life if you keep God in first place. As you get used to doing that, you know that you're doing the right thing. Some of you might say this morning, well, to be honest, God's never been in first place in my life. What do I do now? Well, you ask God to forgive you. Forgiveness is real. People can forgive, and God can forgive. Without forgiveness, we would have no friends, no family, and no relationship with God. Have you ever thought about that? Without forgiveness, we would have no friends, no family, and no relationship to God. Forgiveness is not justice. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth has nothing to do with forgiveness. Forgiveness is more like a pardon. Whatever the debt or sin might be, it's completely canceled. And the record is wiped clean. If God is not and has not been in first place in your life, ask God to forgive you this morning. And he will. The scripture says that he will. And today, in this hour, in this time and place, you can make the greatest decision of your whole life. Put him in first place in your life today. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation. It's a thing that we do every Sunday for those of you that are visiting with us. We ask people to do something with their faith, to make a decision, and then to slip to the aisle and slip to the front and take a stand for Christ. Don't be secretive about it. Take a stand for Christ. Don't be ashamed. Don't be bashful. Take a stand for Christ. He gave his life for you. Give your allegiance, your loyalty, your love to him. He's our Savior and our friend. For those of you that have been visiting with us for a period of time, you've been a Christian perhaps for a long time, we'd ask you today to come and join with us, to cast your lot with our family. We're going to serve God together. That's the way... That's the way it's supposed to be. That's what we're trying to do. We want to ask you to come and help us do that. I'm going to stand right down here at the front. If the Lord leads you, you just slip out. Don't let the line hold you back. Just step out, step forward, take a stand for Christ. I'll be waiting here at the front for you to come. Let's stand and sing together.